Ladies and gentlemen, episode 19 of Hang On To Your Hat, the fatherhood podcast. It's just me in the studio again as Dan is in Broome. Dan has been a roving reporter and he's getting some amazing chats with dads up in the Kimberley. So let's get this started. Dad, Daddy, you're a naughty boy. These days, fatherhood is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Not the blokes haven't tried. If you're not a father, you've got a father. You're a son of a dad or a daughter of a bloke. But either way, being a dad is no picnic. The fear, the anger, the confusion and, well, the love, of course. (laughs) Derek Myers and Dan Lee, together with their special guests, are here to share the highs and lows, the joys and the agony of being a modern dad. But most of all, to let you know that you're not alone. cuts to the core when he says you're not alone when I'm sitting here alone. I'm going to get straight to it because Dan has got a great chat for us today and I'm going to call him right now. Come on, Danny. Derek. Hello. Hang on, mate. I've just got to pull over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seamless technical brilliance. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, that's better. That's nice. Ah, but I, yeah, no, I was just driving. <laughs> How are you going? Is this, uh, are, we, are we talking? We are. We're on. I've introduced we're the on. show. We've done the bad daddy bit. Oh, good. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it ends with, you're not alone, which kind of cut me, oh, to the, cut me to the core because I'm sitting here by myself. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to buy your lawns from now. Poor old me. Um, so I got the I got the I got this first uh, conversation down, as you know. Yep. That we're we're going to tell people about today. Um, Andrew Eagleton is a guy I met, as I say in the thing. We, we met camping with with um, mutual friends. Um, but I thought I'd just fill you in a bit with um, what he is actually doing at the moment, because he's 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 catching rogue Brahmin bulls in in uh, the Kimberley. Uh, on his own, and just for people listening who, and and particularly people who aren't from Australia and and may not have seen it, you want to look up bull catching um, cars or bull bull catching trucks because they have a they have a robotic arm on the side of them. So you drive alongside a bull, and the arm reaches out and goes around the neck of the bull, and then the bull. T- Goes bananas and starts dragging the truck all over the place. Is it like a rhino? Be like, it's like a rhino catcher, oh. exactly like those rhino catchers that you saw Holy. in those documentaries. So this guy goes out there with tranquilizer darts, yeah, uh, and he and uh, like a sort of compressed air rifle or whatever, sneaks up on them, shoots them to keep them a bit docile with yeah. this thing, and then catches them live with this truck, and then it then then he ships them out. Uh, and he does this on his own. Hang on, and, w- what for? Well, just for fun, for shits uh, and giggles. Oh, are you serious? Well, I mean, he gets paid, but he's actually an air conditioning tradie. Right. He, he runs an air conditioning business in Perth, but because he has a background in trapping and crocodiles in Africa and Australia and all over the place and 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 feral animals, he goes up and does that on his own for for fun. So he's gone now. He's out in the bush for two weeks on his own doing that. Bloody and he'll come hell. back into town with a with a truckload of these. Th- these Brahmins are about 700 kilos. 
How do you get them on the truck? Does he have a crane or something? No, well, they, they lead them onto the truck, I suppose, once they've – well, they corral them. Anyway, that's the background because we didn't talk much about exactly what the bull catching involved. But these are these these bull catching jeeps or trucks just look like something out of Mad Max. Wow. So, yeah. So well, he that's, was up here with his That's two fascinating. His that wife. gives people a bit of yeah. a, an insight into what's to come. Oh. He's the most moderate adventurer I'll be speaking to. Let me uh, assure you of that. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to have a listen. I'm going to be listening the same time as the audience. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I listened to the very beginning. I went, oh, this is going to be good. Some good fatherhood yeah. stuff in there. Yeah. No, he's, he's good. And there's a little bit of background noise. I'll record it in a different location next time. Groom's actually pretty noisy, um, especially this time of year. There's a little bit of beeping and cars that's and okay. stuff, you'll, you'll yeah, be able to understand. That's look, yeah. if, if there wasn't, I'd put them in anyway to create that oh, out yeah. there, you know, exactly. on the out there on the road feel. The cicadas yeah, yeah. were a nice, the crickets one from last time. Uh, that's I really right, enjoyed yeah. that grrr, grrr kind of sound. It, yeah, yeah. it felt like I felt like some kind of movie maker for, for Hollywood. Yeah. You would deliberately yeah. put those in. You know, sometimes they're in the Amazon jungle and you hear kookaburras. You go, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's well, get so stuck yeah. into it because this is go. a beauty. Great. Okay, no worries, man. I, I've dragged you into Sobrani's, back of Sobrani's gallery at near Matzo's in Broome. And this is Andrew Eagleton, who I uh, met with with some other friends camping. How you doing? I'm good, mate. Yeah. How are you going? I'm good, I'm good. It's good to be here. Before you were saying about we, we sort of jumped straight into it, talking about uh the all the things you do in your life and, and how you, you there's plenty of room for you know, starting things and giving away and failing, but Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. well look, the reality is done you a know, lot of stuff. One of the reasons I'm in the Kimberleys is is mm. I one, I'm very attracted to the country. Two, I, I have had a lot of history with crocodiles. I used to track mm. crocodiles for a long time and rob crocodile nests and stuff like that, live in the bush for six months at a time, and, yeah, yeah. and it was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. And then latterly I've been, um, you know, catching bulls out on the stations, feral bulls and yeah. and those kind of things. So Using you know, tranquilizer. Yeah, tranquilizers predominantly and, and um, <laughs> catching arms on bull buggies. And it's to get rid of feral, nasty animals, not just to catch animals yeah. for the fun of it. It's, it's all part of a, a very necessary program. You know, we were successful at both those ventures and it's been, you know, a wonderful experience. But, you know, from a more in line with this conversation, I think mm. the – You've got to give your kids those same wide range of experiences mm. and all the successes in the world don't mean anything if you're not a success with your yeah. family yeah, yeah. and your family more so with your new family, not with your old family. That's optional. You know, how you get on with your parents or whatever, that's, that's something different. Right. Yeah. How you get on with your present family and how you prepare and propel your kids into this, this life is the one success that you have to get right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can, as people do up up this way a lot. You know, you can do all sorts of things and give it a give it a crack. You can have a go at it up here and try your hand at all sorts of stuff. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter so much. But yeah, with with your kids, you kind of want to get that right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not like a a pet or something. No. <laughs> if you didn't get it right, you can give it away. Or you know, you can't say, oh, 
my child's a chronic alcoholic, but that's his fault and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever you decide yeah, yeah. in your life is, is um, you know, you just got to do the best you can. That's not to guarantee that you will no. get the result you were hoping for. Each yeah. child's different. Some are really strong. Even in the same family, children are so incredibly different. But it's a responsibility you want to dedicate yourself to properly. I mean, you said to me before that, that um, uh, I, I said it, it, parenting, of being a father goes on forever. It never ends. And you, and you said if you do it properly, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, well, and that's a good point, you know. Well, I think the last thing you want is to say, look, I put in the best 20 years for my my son, but he won't – I've never seen him. He moved to – New Zealand and I've never heard from him again. It's yeah. like, well, you might not have got it right, you know, for him yeah, to yeah. have completely blanked you. And I, I don't judge those who've had that relationship. You know, there's yeah. so many factors that come into play. I think the point I'm making is for me and me only. Yeah, yeah. And the view I'm sharing is that I believe that you can put in your best effort for the 20, 25 years and, you know, what happens after that is their life. And hopefully you get a return and a rewarding return on your investment, yeah, your yeah. time investment. Yeah, totally. I My brother said that too, that you get what you put into it. Yeah, parenting, sure. And, and he sees it's just as simple as that, you know, it's, it's, and it's almost about it doesn't even really matter what you do with them in a way, especially boys and fathers. You just need to be, be around. Yeah. Um, and, and quality time will just kind of happen. And, but, but trying to just squeeze little lots of things into little amounts of time. It's just, it's a, it's a basic equation. And not everyone can do that. No, 100%. E easily. And that's, that's fine too. But, um, I think Derek was, Derek used to, ah, have I forgotten it? Um, Oh, you were just reminding me that he does a thing. I hope I'm pinching his story here, but he does this thing with his wife. You know the cats in the cradle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, very that, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which is the, the which is the kind of the the nightmare for of all fathers, I, I suppose, is that your kids grow up and just don't just spend like time you. With you, just like you. Yeah, you didn't spend time with them when you were young. Yeah. Um, and so he he, you know, he fucks around and teases his wife like, like whenever they are. Doing something they perceive as neglectful, yeah. The other will start singing "Cats in the Cradle" uh, at, yeah. at them. <laughs> so, so we were going to have a section in this um, podcast called "The Cats in the Cradle" that, were, you know, to to address people, fathers' fears of when they may have done that. Like lots of dads, fuck man, it's hard because you've got you, you, often people have to work incredible hours and they have to be away, and we're going to get a lot of air traffic and stuff here. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, and, and so it makes it hard. But, you, I mean, obviously you do what you can and intention counts. Absolutely. Kids know when you at least – it's like quality time. It's not like you can't measure it. Sure. But they know if you – that you want to be with them. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I think that one of the things, the issues is, you know, parenting is, is almost something to do because you had sex with someone and <laughs> – then now you've got a kid, you know, yeah. like, and that kid is a genuine human being that needs so much time, energy, and investment. And parenting is an autopilot thing. There's very little training. There's very little yeah. prerequisite, you know, and you think, oh, well, I did this and I did that when I was 15, so that's okay. Look, I turned out all right. That's not actually correct. No. Because what you're doing is your your beliefs are limiting what your family can do. And, yes, you might have 
driven drunk a thousand times and got away with it, would you encourage your child to do that? No, no you wouldn't. And, you know, I remember I worked away all the time. I was away way too much and it, and it was wrong. And I eventually, and I mean eventually, I realised. Yeah. And the more time you're there, quality time is not taking your kids to the movie and watching something that you're both totally distracted with, but you happen to be eating, you know, chocolate peanuts and sitting next to each other. That's yeah, not yeah. quality time. Quality time is walking at the river or going on a drive, a long drive, and actually listening to their perspective and not using it as a, oh, here's my chance to interject with my opinion or this little training exercise I can quickly squeeze in here. Yeah, exactly. You know, just yeah. let them talk. If they're in grade three, they're talking about grade three things that, if they're in high school, you're going, cringe, you, you're watching Love Island? Oh, my God, how could you do that? <laughs> Love Island's important to them at this stage <laughs> in their life to look at what dysfunction actually can be. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't matter how beautiful you are or how smart you are or what your sport prowess is, that's not life. No, and someone, and it might have been Steve Bidolf or someone was saying that it's, it's, it's actually important that, the, that you're kind of doing nothing with them sometimes or, or, or what's... Because it's it's that thing of saying it shows that they're worth being with, yeah, even sure. when there's not a reason. Because you know, often it's that tendency when you're very busy to try and make good times happen, yeah, make yeah, yeah. important, or as you said, like like force a lesson, not force a lesson, but kind of encourage some kind of learning, trying to trying to make multiple things happen at once. Yeah, and, yeah. But just if you're just willing to be there, again, it's fucking hard in with with being busy and yeah. You definitely have to put some time aside, some conscious time. So with my yeah. family, which uh, my wife instigated, wasn't me, we go out once a week, no matter what, for family dinner. Right. Each person gets to choose which restaurant we go to and no one else can complain about that restaurant. If you don't like Chinese food but one of the kids has chosen Chinese food, that's yeah, yeah. where you're going and yeah. just zip it. Yeah. You know, um, if sometimes you have to tolerate a vegetarian meal and that's not what your preference is, so what? It's good exercise in diplomacy. For, 100%. For, for life. And mm. you don't invite other people. You don't bring someone else's friend. You, yeah. We had a day of the week. Ours was Thursday. It is flexible by negotiation. If something important is coming up or if there's a school function or a, or a something that you can't get out of, yeah. otherwise it's a commitment and it's a commitment anyway. You can't just say, don't worry about it this week, we're all too busy. You go to Tuesday night if you can't do Thursday night. The amount of pleasure we get out of that is insane. The amount of talking that we talking and listening that we get to come across, like yeah. my two daughters chat between them, a lot on those evenings, which mm. is a beautiful thing. It's You wouldn't even chat in that same space at home. Mm. And we mm. just sit there. Often we're just listening. Sometimes we're talking. It, it's a really pleasant way. And my kids look, fam look forward to family dinner night every week. Yeah, because you are making a thing of it, an event of it. And, and there's something about committing to anything that gives it value. Yeah, in, very inherently. much so. I mean, I found that when I came up to Broome and... Um, and because it was the first time I came up here to quit drinking, as I've told you about, and and I'd been in Melbourne very socially removed. If I, I I used it drinking and stuff as a way to socialise, you know, sure, 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 basically, sure. Uh, uh, sort of socially anxious. And but then when I got up here sober. I had to commit myself to certain things socially, not just like it's easy to commit to a job or to whatever, but go to change your value system and go, it's important that I show up to this person 
on this day mm-hmm. and then treat it like you would if it was a job. Yeah, sure. Like, like with the same level of importance. Yeah. And and then that that's how I started to redevelop my social skills without booze yeah. up here. By just going, you know, no matter what, I'm going to go to this fucking meeting or this whatever or I'm going to help someone do their you know, their garden or whatever it was, just to make that commitment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's also a very interesting point that you raised because Mm. Australians generally are very heavily reliant on alcohol for socialising, and I'm in that category. I've drunk all my life and I've liked it. It's been a good friend Mm. of mine for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're feeling the wheelie bin every two weeks. You can hardly move it with empty wine bottles and stuff like that. Mm. And And it's got to start you thinking, I don't want my children doing that. So I was talking to my daughter on this trip and we're actually talking about what you can do when you're out there enjoying life, Mm. ex-alcohol. Why is so much socializing alcohol-related? When you go to someone's house, when you go to a birthday, when kids go out and socialize outside the house, they're probably not down (coughs) at the river doing this or that, with some exception, of course, don't get me wrong. But you go to the pub or the club or the nightclub or well it's the greatest known cure for anxiety yeah sure i mean it, it immediately well I mean, I, it takes it away it gives it temporarily back tenfold <laughs> yeah that's right later, but kick yeah. the can down the road a bit yeah yeah till you can't communicate with people well but you, you have know. to learn to do it you have to learn and and like you taking them out yep you see this comes back all the time is where and i, I and within whatever limitations you have the more you can try and take kids out to you know the bush or to yeah. space or yep they don't even ask for the phone or the iPad when they're out there. No, 100%. And then, you know, they learn some stuff that maybe they won't need quite as much booze or drugs. Or... Well, it's funny because on this trip, one of them said, my life in Perth is actually quite boring. I'm mm. I'm not utilising it properly. Yeah. I am socialising too much with with the same people and with alcohol and so on and so forth. So yeah. it's nice for people just to know there are options. Yes. There are other things. Don't say Perth's boring, let's go to Melbourne. There's just more pubs and restaurants in Melbourne. It's what yeah. you are or what you're feeling at the time that you've got to transcend. And, and if Perth's boring, you're probably not looking in the right place for your mm. stimulation. Yeah. So you're That's, blaming an outside factor. Yeah, yeah. See, I, and, and for me, being a, uh, coming to Broome initially meant that it was a small enough community that it was like it was like training wheels for me before I went back to Melbourne to be without my medication and mm-hmm. learning to socialise, at least it was with, I think I said it like broom small enough to fit in my head without bursting it at the seams. You gotcha. Know? Whereas I felt very overwhelmed back, back oh, yeah. home. Yep. So um, there's a good opportunity to do that up here and, and of course, get out. Get away. Yeah, get away. Change your colours. So, hey, tell us a little bit, because the great, the great thing about for me coming up here all the time is I always meet people. Everyone's got a story about everyone who's got a connection to the Kimberley who wasn't here originally. So anyone who's not Aboriginal, basically, <laughs> has got some story, it seems like, you know. Like, and you were, cause you, so you were, you hunted crocodiles? Uh, initially I was trapping. trapping. So very different from hunting. Right. Um, in that everything I got was kept alive and was relocated to breeding farms. Right. And it was a little political at the time. Yeah. Um, there was a enormous increase in crocodile numbers. Yeah. There was increasing number of deaths in this area because this is in Africa that I was doing it. 
Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, this is in your 20s or something. Yeah, yep, yeah. very early where you have absolutely no fear. People thought <laughs> yeah. I was incredibly brave, but they didn't realise the distinction between stupidity and bravery yeah. is a very thin line. And That's why they send kids to war. 100%. Know? Yeah. And absolutely fearless. So I did. I had a wonderful time there. I really enjoyed it. And all our crocodiles went to breeding farms, which is good. We don't kill them. And we had to remove them from a situation where they were definitely going to get shot because they were hanging around near boat ramps. Yeah. Um, a 17-year-old guy got killed with a croc coming up to him and launching the boat and just pulled him under, which would be devastating for everybody. A, um African policeman was bathing at the river and grabbed him on the head and pulled him in Jesus. and blah, blah, blah. People go all the time over there because they stand waist deep fishing yeah, for right. dinner. Literally, not for fun. They're yeah. trying to get something to eat tonight. Yeah. And a croc just picks one off, one off, one off, one off. Easy pickings for the crocs. And because yeah. of the changed environment, because it was a, a dammed river, yeah. and their ability to increase in numbers dramatically and incredibly quickly, it was becoming a problem. So, yeah, we got a contract, two contracts, one to rob the crocodile nests. So we used to lift all the eggs from the nests in oh, the okay. bush. To re keep the numbers down, you just simply well, take that eggs was and then to you can use the eggs. Commercial farming that went yeah. to commercial farming, but you were removing numbers from the bush with a promise that you had to keep one percent of your hatchlings for returning to the bush where required. Right. Um, I which think they did that here as well, didn't they? Like certainly, we're talking about. I don't know what they returned yeah. here or, or did or didn't, right, right. but mm. that was wild harvest and yeah. then trapping the live the crocs to send them back to breeding farms. And it's so much better. Even living on a breeding farm is going to be so much better than living for 80 or 100 years and getting a bullet in the head because yeah. you are you happen to be living in your natural environment and it's not convenient for human yeah. beings. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we ship him into the into the farm. So I did that for a couple of years over in Africa, two, two egg collecting seasons and one trapping season. But was this before or after you were... A tradie before you were in air conditioning. No, I completed my apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah. Then oh, I, and then went over there. Well, then I went to sea for a year to work on the fishing boat. So five heronautics and I went to sea for a year and worked Sounds on the like fishing boats. A, a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Then I went to Africa after that and I only went traveling. You know, I was traveling by myself, but I met some wonderful people over there, some absolutely fantastic people that are still like another family to me now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they were wonderful and just branched out from there, you know. So that's when you I got into the crocodiles. And then, but then you did it here as well in, in NT or something, didn't you? I did some shooting here, but right. shooting's not really my cup of tea. I just don't, yeah. I don't like shooting. I like trapping. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so much. Well, it's a better end result for me. Right, like, sure. You know, I, I understand the stealth and the hunting and the, and stuff, but the end result's pretty unattractive for me personally. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm attracted to the hunting right up until the point at which you have to put a bullet in something's head. I, I when I think it through, yeah, I yeah. love all that. I think it does appeal to something at least in men. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm making a big assumption, but for most men that I talk to, there's a, there's a desire to kind of get out and pitch yourself against yeah, yeah. the beast and in the wilderness and be out in the countryside. But you're sort of doing that with catching bulls but without having to actually kill them. Yeah, that's 100%. So, yeah. And, you know, for me, if I had a contract to shoot bulls, I wouldn't do it. I have no interest no. in ending ending it that way. Mm. Not that I'm criticising those that do. Yeah, yeah. For me personally, 
I'm happy to trap them. I'm happy to trap them all week long and return them to their owners. What their owners do with them is not my business. So you're being, it's the being out there. 100% being, being out, out there. there, following an animal, yep. you know, kind of figuring out the the game, the, the plan, the strategy. Yeah, and it's you learn a lot from those animals just because yeah. you have to have a lot of patience. Yeah. You just wait and wait and wait and you observe. And patience is not my strong suit, never has been. So it's something I've had yeah. to work on and I enjoy it. But not only the bulls give you the reason to be there. So that's great. That's your goal. That's what you have gone and travelled and bought equipment and, yeah, yeah. you know, beating yourself up to get out there and your vehicles to get out there. But what you haven't counted on is the immersion. And the immersion for me is as good as the bulls because, for example, yeah. I had forgotten how quiet life can be. How amazingly quiet it is when it's yeah. 45 degrees. Even the birds are quiet. There's not a fly around, nothing. Everything is quiet mm. except this gentle breeze in the trees. So all you can hear is the leaves rustling. Mm. Or occasionally if you're near a river, you might hear this little plop where a fish jumped to get away from another fish or, or mm. something disturbed him or whatever he does, whatever he's mm. There's no phone. There's no person. There's no helicopter. There's no truck. There's no boom gate. The reward I get from that, it's like... You just feel something melting off you. It's like petrol evaporating. It just yeah. goes away. All this tension just goes away and you start coming back to who you are as a core human being. I can feel all the people in the city, all the blokes in the city just salivating at this idea. <laughs> because I do. I just It's so romantic to sure. me, just, especially when you've got kids too. The, the idea of spending a few months out there doing that. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I don't know if I could cope with that kind of isolation, but it certainly appeals to me. And because – and to get – or just, as you say, let it slide off and get mm. connected with the ground and, the, and yep. nature. I think so. um, it is something that you have to grow into. You can't come from a busy life and go to a stopped life instantly. Right, yeah. But it, and for the first four days of any holiday, I'm useless, often sick, mm. you know, mm. often unwinding from this moderately uninteresting, high-stress existence I have when I'm earning money and running a business and getting paid 120 days later and, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. skinning through this and diving out of that and arguing with people on site because the people, the, the managers and supervisors aren't what they used to be and builders aren't what they used to be, etc. And I'm kind of old school. I still like stuff done properly and whatever. So I can't just go to the bush and relax. So yeah. anyone who thinks they can just go from their busy life to that life and get on straight away is yeah. probably not well, that's being realistic. And yeah. so anyone in the city who, who you think that may fit is definitely don't go and book a campsite and go, oh, that was shit, the dunnies are terrible, the kids were annoying. Yeah, I think that's where I fucked it up because I, when I was in Broome, before the kids and the family and all that stuff, I bought a troopy, like a camper troopy, mm -hmm. and I thought I'm going to go out in the bush by myself. I'm going to go out in the desert or camping, just go wherever I might. And I, and I went for one night out somewhere, miles from anyone, mm -hmm. and I was in this camper on my own and I just I, t I totally couldn't cope with it. Yeah, right. But I think it was that thing that I just had this huge expectation and I just threw myself straight in that deep end. I mean, I hadn't even been camping out there with other people yet. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So I think I... Uh, yeah, I didn't do myself any favours. No, absolutely, yeah. and it can be overwhelming, especially yeah. if you're going solo, like yeah. not going to a campground by yourself, but I mean going bush, going yeah, bush yeah, by yourself. Bush. A lot of stuff out there, a lot of spirits yeah. and yeah. stuff, whatever it is out there. And what I find is really effective is you do small trips by yourself and you drink tea yeah. and then 
when you finish that tea, you have a cup of tea. Another <laughs> one, you know, you don't have to be hiking 30 kilometres. Yeah, I think just one just of the big advantages easy. is you go to one place and you sit there and you be quiet and you just listen. Yeah. You don't listen to music and who cares if the dockers are losing again. You should be used to that by now. Yeah, yeah. If you're, don't take alcohol with you, you can, of course, if you want to. If, if you feel better sitting there with a beer in your hand just listening, that's great. But don't talk, don't think, don't make a phone call. Just sit and automatically you'll watch that bush come alive. Yeah. And it might be come alive with thoughts, but often where I am, it'll come alive with animals that have gone stony still because you've turned up. And they're either watching you yeah. or they're not letting you know where they are. But once you've sat there for a while, they go, oh, don't worry about him. He's, he's fine. And then they hop off to do whatever they do. And you go, oh, shit, there were some wallabies over there that I'm I hadn't even seen. Yeah. And look at the birds and yeah. listen to that. You know, that, that's amazing all of a sudden. So you don't have to dive in too deep and you can pack up and nick off home again because um, you're yeah. not so far away. And I've taken other people out there. We're at one place in the bush that I was working on a site. They said, oh, this place is a shithole. I said, boys, that's not fair. This is not a shithole. You're just not looking in the right place. And I said, grab some beers, come with me, and we'll go out this afternoon. And we jumped into the car, drove about 50 k's away, and I said exactly what I said to you. Just go and sit somewhere. Don't talk. Don't listen. Don't communicate with anyone. Just do it. Well, I ran into one of those guys the other day. It's about six years ago we did that. Yeah. He still remembers that day of sitting in the bush quietly, by himself and how rewarding and wonderful it was. Yeah, and you and that thing of waiting because they it's, it's all happening. Yeah, you know, there's some big profound metaphor in that, isn't there? Like it's it reminds me of the Pascal philosopher, the, his quote about all um all, all humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room. Yeah, okay. You know, to just to just be there, and then sure. and all that. Yeah, if you can deal with that thing. Then everything will start to move and come into place. Yeah, bit by bit. Yeah, that's exciting. And don't expect too much taking your no. kids out either. No. Don't no. think they're not going to want to see everything or they're going to want their machines because they're used to using iPads and getting fed stuff. Or they don't want to read a bloody book because it's too slow when they can watch yeah. a DVD or, a, or, you know, not even a DVD nowadays. They can get instant whatever access to the rest yeah, of the yeah. planet or the avatars and. You, were you? Because see, I've seen a photo of you with a massive crocodile with, with when in the, what appeared to be the seventies, because you had a haircut <laughs> like it was either that or it was the eighties. I'm not sure how old you are, um, but you you had one of the kids. You had a baby mm. with you, so they yeah. must have been going on some of these trips since the beginning, since yeah, the early days. That's true. Um, Kate came with us. We that was an accidental shooting trip, to be honest with you. Yeah, we we were a shooting huge. Fucking crocodile yeah, head. That was massive. Like that was it. probably one of the biggest crocs in Australia at that time. And wow. he measured out to about 19 feet in the old language. Jesus. And, you know, it's pretty hard to do an accurate measurement. So allow for all the exaggeration yeah, you want. Yeah. I don't care. It was <laughs> over 16, all right? Well, the bloody head on its own looked as big as you. You were sort of crouched down next yeah. to it. And it comes up to my than... temple. Yeah. And even standing up, it goes from the ground to my hip bone to the back mm. of its jaw. That was just his head. Mm. And I've, I felt terrible about shooting that croc. That's the honest mm. truth. I'll never mm. shoot a croc again mm. based on that. That's why I thought, you know what, I want to start my own crocodile retirement home. Right. Are all those big old boys that are causing trouble, that are killing beef and just doing what they do but are becoming a menace for a human or they're in water holes that people are drinking from or town water supply yeah, and yeah. they have to be removed, 
they can come and live with me. I'll be happy with that. Just have my own yeah, yeah. farm where they can That's just live. That's kind of what Malcolm did, didn't he? To an extent. Malcolm also had a commercial side to his Uh, farm. True. Um, And good good luck. I I don't criticise that, but that's not quite where I was thinking of being. It's a retirement village that people can come and chuck a couple of shekels in the container so Mm. we keep them all fed and happy. So those big ones that have been biting outboard motors. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. they can live out their life. Those crazy ones that are going to – they're just going to get – um, dispatched, absolutely, if not, if not retired. But keep in mind yeah. how hard it is for a crocodile to get to that size. It yeah. defies all odds for a croc to get that. Like one percent of the nest survives. So to get to be a breeder, you are top of the animal kingdom. Yeah, you know you've lived through the battles. You were clever enough to get away from the bigger crocs that were going to eat you. You managed yeah. to navigate all the other predators, the starvation, the lack of water the currents that you're living in, the monsoon range that wash everything away. You've navigated all the way through that life and you're now a breeder. That That's like a fraction of a percent can actually achieve that. And if you, you know, blokes come along with a high-powered rifle and bloody put a bullet in your coconut because you ate their dog or something, it, yeah. it's just not, yeah. it's not cricket really. Yeah. I just think it's, it's, not a, yeah. it's not a fair result like chopping down a massive old tree because you want to put a fence line there. Move your fence line a metre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. If rural, maybe not. The, um, in town. There was, I remember this crocodile out at, because Jonesy, who will be on this podcast soon, who, who, um, obviously is your mate as well, who, um, was the manager of the croc, Malcolm's Crocodile Park before Malcolm died, bizarrely. Um, and, and or it might have been Will who worked there as well. Like a couple of my mates have come up here chasing Malcolm Douglas in oh, their yeah. youth. As did I. The first time I came to Broome was largely because, as a kid, I'd watched those documentaries, Malcolm's documentaries. Yep. And at the end of the documentary, he'd always say, "And the sun's setting, and now it's time to head back home to Broome." And I'd be like, "Wow, Broome must be unbelievable." <laughs> and so I always kept that in mind, and, and then finally got here, and and then Broome just changed my life yeah sure and i don't know if that was just that 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 spiritual anticipation from when i was a kid or whether it's broom i mean everyone talks about broom's magical powers Mm -hmm. like it's really uncanny uh but anyway was oh that's right the crocodile because this thing about crocodiles and their ability to just sit there and wait yeah 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 and and he said that one of them one of those old fellas because i was looking at it not moving us you can sit there and behind the wire and look at them and their eye does it. You look right into their pupil and you're trying to get them to react and there's nothing going on. And Will or Jonesy was saying that that one of them was there for a year or something. Didn't eat, didn't do anything, just sat there. And this is what they can do. They can sit there with their mouth open and slow their metabolism so much their only job is to snap their jaw shut. That's the only thing they have to do in (laughs) incredible (laughs) pressure. And, or maybe it was Malcolm that actually got, but they, anyway, they, they, they got used to this crocodile mm-hmm. and one, and then one day it launched at one of them because it because it'd been a year or something. It was something absurd. I don't know, but it just in terms of that sort of like crocodiles are still working on geological time. You know? Sure, sure. Like that's like a second in, oh, that's, yeah, that's absolutely. extraordinary, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, looking into that eye, I've never looked into anything colder. Yeah. Anything less emotional. And I've been mighty close to a lot of crocs. And like you say, the ones on the other side of the fence, I think it gives you a beautiful little window into 165 million years. Yeah. It goes back into that eye. Yeah. Because they haven't changed much since the original guys. 
And, and all of that strength and power is like a coiled spring, all for that one purpose of of one explosive moment to yep. get food, yep. which might be once a year or whatever. And, and the whole thing is for that, you know? That's that's breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah. And that's and basic, then, you know, biological purpose. A hundred percent. It's one of the reasons they've been an incredible success up till yeah. humans have really started knocking them around. Yeah, yeah. They were a total success for all those years for several reasons. One, because they can lay a batch of eggs that they don't have to mother. Yeah. So that's a great thing. They only have to eat a couple of times a year, so that's a great thing. They can live mm. on land and in water, so that's that's great. Yeah. You know, they they when everything else is dying because <laughs> of a drought, yeah. that works for them. You know, oh, of course. they can live on that. So, you know, that their ability to reinvent themselves and come back strongly is phenomenal. Yeah. Providing they don't get shot out and their eggs get eaten and they yeah. get tangled in fishing nets. All right. So 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 in light of the fact that you uh, have done a lot of different stuff in your life and travelled around a lot and not particularly patient, you suggested, and, you know, you just, you, like a lot of the guys I know up here, pretty uh, into real experiences and, 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 and changing your experiences. What was it like when you had the kids? And and just like, did you, first of all, was it something you totally thought about and anticipated? And, and then also, how did you kind of cope? What was the adjustment like? Well, look, it was, we planned to have kids. Yeah. Definitely. It, there were no accidents. It was planned. We were in a reasonable financial position. We'd been together for five years, so we were quite stable as far as relationship goes. Yeah. We're at an age where it was sort of age appropriate now yeah. to be having kids, etc. So there was a level of planning. Mm. But I don't care how well you plan. You are not ready for what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And it used to annoy me when people... You know, when you're pregnant, you go, you know, my wife was pregnant and they'd roll their eyes and go, oh, you're about to, to, you know, you're about to join the parents club. And it used to annoy me because we elected to do it. We wanted to do it. We knew we wanted to do it, everything. And I used to call them the eye rollers club. It used to annoy me like, you know, there's them and us. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, have you made a mistake? It is undoubtedly the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah. But the reality is it was frightening. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the early days, you are tired beyond tired. Your wife is tired a thousand times more than you are. There's all sorts of coping mechanisms designed in humans to manage, but your sleep deprivation, your fear, your lack of knowledge, your anxiety is all in complete and utter overdrive. When you bring this little tiny creature home, you can't even see if they're breathing. You've got your ear down next to their nose because you haven't heard anything for a while and you just want to make sure they're still alive. So no matter how good you are at stalking uh, <laughs> crocodiles <laughs> sure. for, for weeks on end on no sleep, this is something else, right? Oh, it's, 100%. I mean, it's, and it's yours. You're, like you said, the responsibility, this is the job you can't afford to fuck up. You really don't want to fuck up yep. for, for many reasons. Mm-hmm. So you've got the weight of all that. Yep. You've got the weight of the eye rollers. Yep. Because that does affect you in some way or other. It's like all these bloody parenting books that exist now. Yeah, sure, it's sure, like, sure. Uh, you know. Well, that's just a two-dimensional two view. Yeah. And although it's done with the best of intentions and everything, yeah. it doesn't always translate to you. No. And especially when you're so tired or, you know, you're still working or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're raising kids by yourself nowadays. 
you know, grandparents will come in and give you a hand or yeah. someone will drop a lasagna over. Mm. But I think if everyone knew how difficult it was in those early days, you'd all be dropping lasagnas over. You'd drop a week's worth off. Yeah. And you'd take a kid for an hour or take your other kid, you know, the, the family's other kid for an hour or two yeah. just to give someone or you say, look, I'll do your shopping for you. Yeah. What do you want? Or give me a list or I'll buy what I think you want, whatever it is, because yeah. I don't believe anybody knows what what is heading towards them. No, except, you know, I wonder about, like, I spent a lot of time in Vietnam and oh, yeah. places like that, and you look at the families all living together by necessity, you know, probably, and, and culturally. I mean, we've, through sort of wealth and all that, have been able to separate ourselves from extended family. And I don't want to live with all my extended family. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. And, they, and people in Vietnam might neither if they had the choice. But the advantage of it, it seems to me, is that there's some passing on of of knowledge and experience and just, yeah, I you know, like you've got, like even before you have kids, there's kids around and yeah, yeah. there's grandparents around, there's yeah. all this stuff. And I feel like at some point we all here in the Western world are going to have to move back toward that. Well, that would be I a mean, really positive thing. Somehow, yeah. Because even kids up here, need to see grandparents or, or different age perspectives. Yep, and bigger nieces and nephews carrying around kids on their hips. Yeah, yeah. So they're getting experience earlier than the, I used to work with the Orang Asli over in in uh, Malaysia, mm. and it used to blow me away how they never cried, they never pulled each other's hair, they never had that yeah. aggression. They might chuck thongs at each other and play catchy and that sort of stuff. Mm. The only crying you would hear is when someone fell over and hurt themselves, not because he was being mean or she said that or, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it was. Yeah. We, we've got a very isolated system of growing your family. Yeah. And, you know, you hear we've, we, Luna's been having a few night wakes lately, right? And, you know, there's that screaming because she's 10 months. So there's that screaming they do where you know they're going to go back to sleep. They've just kind of woken up and they're no, – it's not – but then there's the terrified – that scream that's really it strikes you, yeah, yeah, and you can't, yeah, yeah. you just can't let it go. Yeah, that's a panic. Yeah, it seems panicked and it's, and it's wavering. And we we were the other night. We were, the problem we have with her is as soon as you go in and you try to comfort her, it doesn't comfort her. It makes her worse. Oh. And and then she she's less likely to go to sleep. The only time, but then occasionally, if you take her and actually take her in the lounge room, turn the lights on, give her half an hour of actually, like snap her out of it. Yeah, gotcha. Then put her back, she'll grumble and go back to sleep. But the the point is I wonder about, uh, because we're told to just leave them, or because what the fuck do you do, you know? Like if we go in, we're going to make it worse. <laughs> if, we, if we don't, if we stay out here, I cannot physically, I said to Missy the other night, I can't physically sit here and, and listen to that. Yeah, sure. Because it sounds like someone's, sounds like she's p terrified. Yeah, and I'm I'm just not fucking doing it. I don't care if we we don't sleep, you know. But there's all this this thing about training, like yeah, when yeah, yeah. when you see other cultures who just uh, it's, it's like and just just having them. You I mean you're all just dealing with each other all the time, but then you can't operate the kind of lifestyle we do and do that. No, absolutely. You know what I mean, so yeah. we're kind of stuck. But I think they are terrified. I think we do. You know, I wonder what damage we're doing to them. Ah, oh, you can't worry about what damage. I mean, that's what parents do, don't they? Sure. What damage are we doing? Yeah, you and know, so. uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of times when your kids think you're a horrible person and that you're yeah. too controlling and you're bloody awful and you did this wrong and that wrong and you, I think you've got to forgive yourself a bit of that. But yeah. you also have to accept that some of that's true. I've done things that I wish yeah. I hadn't have done. 
Yeah. And I've been in situations where I thought it's entirely justified. But looking back, it wasn't the right situation or the right way to handle yeah. a situation and stuff like that. Yeah. Other cultures, like I was working in Africa for a long time, those kids are on your back being carried around mm. all the time. They sleep next to you, you know, the whole lot. That's total immersion parenting. And you're yeah. working, you're planting crops by hand with a kid on your back. You know, there's no dropping them off at the nanny or whatever. Other cultures have a nanny from, like I know people, not just cultures, that have had a nanny since the time their kid was six weeks old. And that's fine, you know, when you're working and stuff. But some of them aren't working. Some of them are mm. li living their social life. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's the way they were raised. Some kids get packed up and sent to boarding school at mm. six years old. For me, I couldn't do that. I yeah, love my yeah. kids. They love their kids too. Don't get me wrong. There's no criticism on those people. For no. me as a human being and what I love about life, I've had all these adventures in my life and lots more than we're talking about today. But the biggest adventure and the best adventure I have ever had is my children, my two girls who I mm. love and adore and there's times they hate me and there's times I'm going, this is bullshit, I can't stand this, I want to get away. Mm. The best thing that's ever happened in my life is those children. Because that's teaching you shit, isn't it, man? Oh, 100%. I mean, there, there, we, there's someone, again, I can't remember who it was, there's so much conversation happens up here. It might have been Will or Jones, he said that there's, in, in at least one of the local uh, Indigenous groups, ref, use the words for, like they call their, their daughter, mother and their son father mm. because they're the ones doing the teaching in a way oh, how interesting like, like the, the the mother has they've, they've brought the mother into the world to kind of show them themselves yeah right a reflection and that's, yeah like and, and if you are willing to accept that that's the case that you are going to be constantly presented with an opportunity to grow and learn and develop then you might you you know maybe it won't be necessarily easier, but you're going to be able to uh, perhaps not get into resentment or feel trapped as much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you no, know, it's a very valid embrace point. Embrace the thing that's happening. A same to a friend of mine, one of those guys. You know, I was having a bit of a grizzle one time about my folks, something they'd done or hadn't done or whatever. Nothing too major, I might add. But they and Jonesy was said to me. Oh, Andrew, you're here to teach your parents. And it struck me such a flip of what you sort of expect, which yeah. I guess as a parent you sort of have this air of arrogance that you're here to teach your kids how to navigate through life, which is certainly yeah. true to an extent. But yeah. at least 50% of this journey is you learning, you seeing your parents differently because, right. you know. And learning to fucking humble yourself. You you gotta, get, you're yeah. not going to get it all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So suddenly that, that, that line, that cliched sort of line that kids used to say, um, I didn't ask to be born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's suddenly a legitimate thing to say. Absolutely. Like your kid says to you, look, I didn't ask to be born. Then you have to go, yeah, well, good point. You're just here. I, I did it. You know, like they can legitimately say to you, well, what was your, what did you propose to get out of this? Yeah, I mean, what, what were you expecting to sure. get out of this? Yeah, yeah, and you can't say, well, look, I had you because you've got to teach me some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, maybe I should try that. I'll spin it around and actually say that. Well, it may empower your child to see things differently from a yeah. much earlier age. So you're here to teach me stuff and they may just embrace that. And some kids are more clearly looking after their parents. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I've got friends whose parents were so dysfunctional that they were literally 
Yeah. You know, looking after the family and doing all the, the, the sort of adult things. Yeah, right, right. So, and, and I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't know the details of those parents, but for, and, and everyone has different, um, issues, but I think some parents just haven't been willing to, to grow, learn to, to go on that journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like just dictating to the kids what to do and it sort of doesn't. Well, I think you miss something work. pretty important in dictating yeah. to your kids and thinking that you know know mm. everything. Your parents yeah. didn't know everything. You're living proof of that. Yeah, yeah. So why should you know everything? And it doesn't matter how many books you read or if you've got three jags in the driveway and a view of the ocean, you know, that, that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're doing. You might be an extremely good dentist or yeah. something like that, but it doesn't mean you've got the time, effort, skills, strategies, whatever, to have brought up two or three or seven well-balanced children that are going yeah. out into the world to to try and, and live a functional life. Yeah. You know, and yeah, sure, they might get a good job or apprenticeship or go to uni. That's awesome. My kid did this and my kid did that. Are they completely strong within themselves? Are they taking substance because it's a nice little escapism for half an hour? Are they doing too much mattress time because you are never there for them and they're looking for some kind of um, affirm, affirmation from other people that they can never get, yeah, that yeah. they can never achieve? I work with people, men, intelligent men that are better at my trade than me who keep getting attracted to these people, bosses, hmm. that will not give them what they need. And what they're looking for is compliments, Love, except well, not love, but acceptance because yeah. they didn't get it. Yeah. They didn't get it from where they where they should have got it. Therefore, they're looking for something that they can probably never get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and then on top of all that, they're entirely their own brain and mind, and you have limited influence over that too. Hundred you know, percent. Like, like c- certain stuff. You can just you meet them, you don't make them, yeah, sort of thing. It seems like with 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 a lot of indigenous cultures too that there was there's one way of doing it. Yeah, we sure. have all these multitudinous ways we can parent, which which goes in line very well with consumerism. Mm-hmm. You know, we we our, our our freedom, our perceived freedom, is in choices for white goods and yeah. how we how we choose to parent. I'm this kind of parent. I'm that kind of parent. Yeah, pigeonhole it. And I, and I do it this way and I do it that way. And but fuck. there's also, if you look at it, these indigenous cultures had a goal in their early days. It was to survive. You survived right. better if you were a mob. Yeah. You didn't have a Game Boy. You didn't have Game sport Boy, on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't fly overseas to go to yeah, Oktoberfest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You had to do this and there were a certain set of rules that have been handed down for a long time, often for control, often for fear, but often for survival of mm. the group. Um, well, and it's worked that way for a long time. You look absolutely. at um, Aboriginal cultures here that have possibly been here for 60,000 years and are relatively at least you know in 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 obvious ways unchanged mm-hmm. so they've had a long time to see that a certain way works yep like we've had the industrial revolution and and we've changed away from nature for yeah. example so all of a sudden so all of the parameters have shifted very 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 quickly and I'm sure things changed over time in Aboriginal uh, life in the Kimberley, but not like like that. So, yeah, so they sure. they would have had thousands of years to kind of gently hone what's needed to keep 
the group safe and you know and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah but i don't know how we can ever go back to that oh, i don't know that you can i don't think i think that you know i doubt you can you know sh- short of armageddon or you know nuclear yeah. something or other that you have to go back to you know trying to scrape a living out of a rock pool or growing a few veggies or yeah, yeah. harvesting whatever you can do it's sort of unsustainable the way we do it though 100 like, percent people just, could not, just not survive that we're not gonna we can't keep going like this like i've got this fan this this i just had this recurring image that eventually aboriginal australia is going to be back to being aboriginal australia and we, you know everyone else will be gone well, I don't know if that can ever happen, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, but I've I'm, got this thing in my head that that's, yeah, no, it's all been out, it's all out of the bag, obviously, unless sure. people were untouched by... Sure, you might uh, find a few yeah. untouched mobs in the Amazon or super yeah. deep in Papua New Guinea yeah. or something like that. But, you know, but they're I'm, the only ones that could, that could stand, withstand on a geological time frame. Yeah, sure. I mean, it feels like... Well, and all these, all, all sort of civilizations that become empires and cities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And keep in have mind, a limited lifespan. They do. You yeah. tell me one that survived. Yeah. None. None. Not a single one. You yeah. know, humans have, a, as a species, an amazing ability to adapt yeah. and change and take out our enemies over a period of time. And, yeah. you know, so we've done very well as a species, but not one civilization has built up into this massive thing. You know, Mongols and, you know, they're yeah. around for 150 years total dominance of their area and then poof gone it's a trade-off then you know, yeah technology sort of all these 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 choices that come with like cities i suppose and, and stuff it just you know you, you can't sustain because we're still biologically i mean we're still animals we're still got a fucking crocodile brain underneath all this stuff well what, that's, that's what in- <laughs> does surprise me about most of the civilizations that grew they all went away from nature they started controlling nature first yeah, by yeah. harvesting all the trees for firewood and building and blah 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 and they harvest all the food and then they start growing their own food like there's some amazing examples in mexico for example where they had these amazing canal systems self-fertilizing they yeah. called them because all their their human waste was used as fertilizer and it worked this fantastic system for so more people came from rural and lived in the city and more people came from rural and lived yeah. in the city and then all of a sudden there's no food and you can see it by the bones their small bones are deformed from a lack of nutrition and stuff like that right. so then it's the gods are being cranky so we've got to sacrifice more people to the gods to appease them and <laughs> yeah. you know that it just this weird sort of human construct of what we need to do to get the gods back on side but once yeah. you tax your environment too heavily, it will capitulate at some point. Yeah. And we're lucky in Australia because we've got a massive environment and you have tons of options. How many cultures overseas can you just go and start a cafe or can you go to TAFE or can you get a refrigeration apprenticeship or do whatever? There's not that many. There's a lot I, yeah. of people in Europe that are totally unemployed. They've got better brains than I have. they got, you yeah. know, whatever they need, but they just don't have the opportunities. I was that that's exactly what and there's an Italian backpacker I was talking to the other day and I said to her why do you keep coming back to Australia like what what is it really mm. and she said ah oh, it probably I I could narrow it down to you're allowed to do th- whatever you want here or you you have the opportunity to try anything yeah sure so as you said you can start a cafe you can do all that stuff that, that she and I hadn't even thought of that she said it's very very hard to step out of 
and just do something else to go and and catch bulls yeah you know you, you you've got to you know you whatever you studied in school is what you go to sure. boom, boom, boom. it's hard to get even an opportunity to try something else yeah i hadn't sure. even thought of that but we are especially in the kimberley cross you when i moved up here you find yourself in jobs you wouldn't you you're never not qualified for for a start because like someone doesn't show up or yeah, yeah. Or, or they couldn't get someone and they give you a go it's crazy yeah and yeah. Uh, a huge drifting population like the italian one's a very interesting one because i believe recently they were you know uni graduates were talking about not what job they're going to work at it's what country they're going to work in yeah because it's it's shut down you know nine recessions in the last 13 years like you know fair go guys that's how are you getting yeah. out of that it's not going to happen yeah so your greatest export is now brains and people that are heading off overseas oh yeah so we are so incredibly lucky talking to an italian guy down on on a jetty and he was saying mate you guys have no idea what you've got here mm. this is the best place on earth we were in perth at the time and he was saying you can swim 100 meters off the beach and get a crayfish on mm. your capital city you've got work opportunities you've got job opportunities you've got study opportunities yeah, you don't yeah. have to have a surname <clears throat> you don't have to have big amounts of money and the reality is you all want to go to europe and have a look at our bent castles you know and a, and a little painting <laughs> yeah, that yeah. you stand in a queue yeah. for hours to go and see at the louvre mm. but and most of the time we don't want to stay <laughs> yeah well, we? well no, some, absolutely. Do, some people do i mean creatively there's always been a bit of a pull to other countries like that for, for me and like either america or europe just because australia is so difficult on that front yeah it's just yeah, not yeah. the audience but yeah, yes of course but, but yeah you, you we take a lot for granted so have you made have you made just in sort of coming to the end but are you, are you, have you made really um conscious decisions a lot about getting the kids up here and and appreciating that stuff oh absolutely it, yeah we, we've been taking kids camping since we were little mm. some of our trips have been too hard and have gone backwards right. we've actually discouraged them uh, yeah we've taken them overseas but when i take them overseas it's not a spoiled trip at mm. all it's it's like we go and find the beggars mm. you know and to see this is what life is in other parts of the world right. you know and yeah. especially in parts of the world that you would think like i the amount of homeless people in paris Mm. and london and stuff like that it's not all shopping malls and wonderful life and beautiful food there's mm. a real hard side to all this and that's what shocked me in america Fucking oh, hell. unbelievable it's, america's it's a vicious system and it's de and it's disintegrating yeah. apart from rodeo drive and a couple of other places the, the footpaths are crumbling that's yeah. what la looks seemed to me and it just oh, homeless people but then the weird thing of the homeless people being so jolly because they all <laughs> think they're going to be millionaires in yeah sure three well, weeks they Vegas. just need a good turn of luck and i was like holy shit yeah yeah no, so it's yeah, a difficult you, system yeah. so we have we've tried to broaden our horizons tried to we definitely fight any elitism ideas because we're living in a pretty good suburb in perth one of the better suburbs there's enormous amount of wealth around us yeah um you know people just drift off to japan for a ski trip for christmas holidays you know 30 40 grand later come home like that it's not my cup of tea we try and steer our kids away from that to some extent yeah um, and just keep them grounded when we go to indonesia we go to bali my eldest daughter's raised a lot of money for the bali eye so she managed to get enough money to pay for the repairs for 75 blind children 
to get their eyesight repaired. Wow. So that, that's phenomenal. So we're giving, you know, they have a social conscience. Um, we made yeah, it. If kids can get a, if, if they can start to see the value personally, even just for how that makes them feel to do things like that, that's going to mm. change their their wiring as Absolutely. they grow up. Absolutely. Because you know, it's not, not just quite, about you. Yeah, and it's not quite the same instant dopamine hit that, you know, that, that buying something is. But it's longer lasting. Absolutely. And, and you know you've made a, a genuine positive effect on another human being's life for the rest of their life. You've mm. given a blind person, a blind child, real legitimate options for the rest of their life. If that same child becomes a teenage mother or, you know, whatever, that's their choice. That's their life. At least mm. they can see now, they can mm. work now, they're not a burden on their family now. Mm. You know, the, the a lot of um, black magic up there and, you know, like gods have made them blind for a reason and so on so they can right, never get right. married. Mm. You know, there's so many things. So, yeah, that, that was a really, really powerful effect. Mm. Um, that was through the John Fawcett Foundation, I know. 95% of your money that you raise goes to an eye recipient and right. that's very important for us that it all goes to the people and yeah. we went up there and we witnessed the operations and we met the first girl that got operated on oh, wow. those are life changing events I'll tell you now it changed me too mm. my daughter and I just asked went together it was hard to get organised Garuda to their credit ended up giving her a free flight up there because she'd done such an amazing job Mm. and we were really well looked after up there it was just amazing mm. those things change your kids life and they yeah, change your life as well i keep coming back into um to missy's dad chris who were talking about um surmounting obstacles with your kids of some sort it's not just holidays on the beach but he, he and his son go for go on um, climb mountains on yeah, a regular okay. basis together Great. So it means they you know, it's it, it doesn't really matter what the obstacle is. It's the time they spend both together, kind of putting, you know, you know solving something or getting, a, a, you know, doing something like that together, a challenge. Well, and well it's a I guess similar thing, I suppose. That, that's such a perfect thing because, and it ties into this conversation about being a parent. That's awesome that that works for them. Yeah, I wanted my kids to be on the Gib River Road this week with yeah. me. Yeah. rattling their ass off in the dust, the broken radio, the this and that. Yeah. And it didn't work. And I was annoyed. I yeah. wanted them there with me. I wanted to show them this beauty that I can see, yeah. etc. And they didn't. They had other things going on in their life that was a priority for them. And I didn't push it. I was disappointed. Yeah. It didn't work. But you know what? It will next year. Yeah, yeah. Or it will the year after. So they're not always on call for you as a parent because yeah. you want to share sure. this with them today. Yeah. This is what I want, and this is what we got to do. There's That's a hard one, actually. It's a hard one to really recognise what they want. Absolutely. Especially mine are very young, so it's even sure. harder. So I'm, I'm just offering them things all the time. But but yeah, you often want to. Yeah, you, there's a real. You, you want to make them in your image. A Absolutely. Bit and, <laughs> I want to share this beauty yeah, with you, which is understandable. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they, they, then also finding a way to let them come to it. You know. Yeah. Well, but, you get them to the edge way. if they want to jump. Yeah. Or they want to step back. That's okay. Mm. There's another year. Gib River Road. Well, you know, those rocks have been there for a couple of million years. We can't fly past. Ten minutes yeah, later, get the sticker at the other end saying, I've done the Gib River Road or something, <laughs> you know, yeah. and miss the whole essence of what it's about. Or you, there's nothing worse than taking grumpy little people out there that do not want to be there. Then oh, it's man. not a good trip for everyone. There's, there's, there's been a lot of 
disastrous <laughs> camping trip stories oh, yeah, on this podcast. My brother's told a few. Yeah, and again, because yeah. he's wanted to go out there and have this experience. He's wanted too much to have yeah. this experience. And then the funny thing is that it becomes a funny story then yeah. after the fact. So 100%. you, you kind of can't lose, really. Well, that one, you, it's better the, to try. The really bad camping trip is that the one they'll remember fondly <laughs> forever. But yeah, because once the once the you know the scars have healed, yeah, then it becomes a funny story. Yeah, that's right. And did you have you have, did you find you had to make really conscious time for you and Annette during their upbringing? I, yeah, like I found this with the second so. kid. We're like shit. We could easily lose it, our sort of connection with each yeah, other. Hundred percent. And you know what? Didn't do it nearly enough. Yeah. And it's a big regret of mine mm. because you know you. When you enter a relationship, it's you. Mm. You're the entire pie. Mm. Then you go mm. in with a partner and now you're half a pie mm. and you just keep subdividing that per kid. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. you're just a fraction of what you were. Especially you're if call. you're old when you have kids. I, yeah, I find it, can't it be even, easier. even more difficult to kind of, even if you want it, it's not a matter of just wanting it. You've got to. Yeah, and pre, pre-program it. And it, yeah. there's times in your life where it's impossible or right. so close to impossible. Mm. It's just ridiculous. So. In instances like that, and I didn't do this, I'm no, you know, I'm not parent of the year by a very long stretch, very, Mm. very long stretch. Having said that, I think, you know, you would do well to buy my present if you can't do this. Or certainly you want to, a few brownie points, do the dishwasher, hang out the washing, do all this stuff that they're drudging around doing. It must be absolute torture to be sitting at home with kids that shit themselves all the time, that demand your attention. This they is, of course, for those who, who are in a family where the mother is at home. Yeah. Looking after the kids. Yep, yep, yep. And dad's working, which dad's working. is but know, it works sort of the Australian model. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, right, it works the, Australi- the other way around, and that's yeah, a yeah. totally separate topic, which yeah. I have some ideas on, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and why it's not as accepted as it should be or yeah. could be. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, doing what you can to recognize each other. Give them a break. Because you just don't recognize each other after a while. 100%. And you're different people. Yeah. You're stressed with work. She's stressed with home. Yeah. When you get home, you clash. You're both tired. Kids are still annoying the shit out of you. You think Mm. she gets it easy because she's going to the park with the kids Mm. to push around on the swings hall. You're working your ass off. She thinks he's gone to work. I'd far rather be going to work. And doing what I right. do yeah, in I a structured thing, and if I need a coffee, I can go and have one. Yeah. So everyone thinks the other person got yeah, yeah. got a good deal. Yeah. yeah, and it builds up anger and resentment. I think that's where we're a bit lucky too on that front because because we both we just split it according to whose work is mo- is demanding. Yeah, sure. If I've got a play to work on, which is less often than I mean, Missy's mainly doing the stuff so her you know when she's touring and all that stuff then i become much more primary carer and it and it flicks around so i think that we're lucky with that because we don't end up because lots of people talk about that dynamic the grass is greener dynamic yeah and and some of that comes from just being in the same bloody you know you you're there's disadvantages of staying in one role oh very much for a long time anyway and it builds up resentment over a long period of time yeah it definitely does and even if it's the only option it still breeds resentment. Do you feel like do you feel like with them being in their late? Are they late teens now? Um, yeah, yep. Like almost kind of yeah, getting to the edge of the nest in terms of. So are you are you able to do more together? Yeah, very much so. There's yeah. times in your life where you just go. It was like a yeah. After your first seven years, finally you might actually get a night's sleep, a full night's sleep. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, 
when I had friends round, it took years, and I mean years, before we completed a single conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where you just keep getting disturbed. And then my mate, went, they went and got pregnant. It's like, oh, I can't believe you guys. <laughs> We're not going to be able to talk a conversation through ever again. Yeah, yeah. So I know it's funny, isn't it? And you watch people who don't have kids trying to deal with you, trying to talk to you while you've got the kid there and... and <laughs> And they just, it's so strange. And then what shits me is the kid will be, Sammy will be going, Mum, 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 or Dad, 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 well, we're trying to talk. And then you'll finally go, yes, tell us what you want. And then and he goes, um, <laughs> do you like blue or something? You know, he's just trying to, you just don't want us to talk. I don't want you to talk. Just he says it straight Just out. got your so, attention. Yeah. I know, and the other person that doesn't have kids takes that as very rude. Like, and I do and did. When you're in mid-conversation with someone, the oh, kid yeah. comes up and goes, Dad, can I? And they stop talking to you instantly and they talk to the kid and say, yes, of course, okay. So, And they come back and say, sorry, where were we? It's like, oh, Jesus. You yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> but what a demand. It's, it's, like, the, it's like parents who when I was, because I was childless and thought I would be forever up until I was 42 or something. But um, that thing, that, that smarmy parent thing of, Look, you're talking about some triviality in your life, some concern like your shoes didn't fit you right and you're going to have to take them back or, you you, you know, you you were up late at a nightclub or something and, and they've got that look on their face like your life is just pointless. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It's like you don't know, you don't know anything. Yeah, and, sure. and, you, and it's so irritating because my, my life is important. And then when you have kids... And you, you you can't help it, but you look at single friends and the, the sort of things that concern them, and you do. Do you notice that smarmy grin going on your own face? You're like, <laughs> fuck, I'm doing it. What am I doing? There's you know, a, a love you have with children that you could never explain. Love, yeah. you know, you love your dog, you love your job, you love, love your partner, blah, blah, blah. You love, love, love. There is no love like the love of a child, both giving and receiving. Yeah, it's scary. It's 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 kind of it's it, at certain times it can be overwhelming and scary because it's that because you're suddenly so vulnerable because of yep. that. Yep. You know, like when you have the horrible thoughts about them dying or something. You know, it's it's yeah, well, it's something you know, else. It also gives yeah. you a perspective. All of a sudden, you have got these little people. You can't just go and die either. Right. I used to enjoy spear fishing, and some of my spear fishing was in some heavy duty water, yeah. like good stuff. Where great white. Shark, great water. white, but also more so crocodile water. Oh right, yeah, you know, sure. and stuff where we knew there were crocodiles. You know, we mm. knew there's crocs in this water. We don't know if they're here or somewhere else, but you knew it wasn't particularly comfortable diving either. I might add, we didn't mm. have to dive. It's not like we sunk the boat. We were no. spear fishing. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, if you've got family, you go, well, hang on, can I afford to die here and let my two daughters navigate life without their dad mm. for the next? 20 years or whatever mm. and that, that's a pretty selfish sort of way of looking at it you know you you can't afford to die and let your kids just look after themselves the best example of that is richard bradley who's another broom person who will be on this podcast in in subsequent uh, episodes but uh he because he's a fucking lunatic as you know and he <laughs> he's base jumping oh yeah because you know he had the wings of the bat wing base jumping oh, okay. that he used to do along with 
um, uh, what's it called? That you know, diving at the bottom of the North Sea. What's it called? You know, uh, saturation, um, saturation diver. diver yeah, and, you know, he's Serious done crazy stuff. stuff. But so when when they had their first kid. There was a very serious discussion between the two of them, and they he sold his bat wings oh, yeah. on eBay because <laughs> the, you know the ones I mean, what, right? what, yeah. But what do you, well, how much do you get from? I don't know, <laughs> but you know he said something like fifty percent of his base ma- jumping mates are, are dead now. Wow, like they they all die on a long enough timeline. They sure. all die. Sure, sure, sure. And so it was like you're not base jumping anymore. Yeah, you know, that's a fair that's comment, fair isn't enough. it? And he went, yeah, and he's not it's a, uh, he's not um, saturation, saturation diving anymore either. Sure. Because well, he's bent enough. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think a lot of this stuff, and even if you're earning really good money saturation diving, yeah, you know what? Great. You paid your house off 10 years earlier or you yeah, do a yeah. lot of trips overseas or whatever, and no criticism, that's awesome. That's what you should be doing. You should be yeah. investing every cent of that really sensibly. Mm. But what is the trade-off at some point? Yeah, it's Do dangerous. Do you die down there? Yeah. And how important is that extra 50 grand yeah. when you're not coming home? For people listening, th- this is when you dive at such depth, usually to work on gas and oil pipelines or whatever, mm. but it's at diving at such depth that you have to have a different air composition. So they have a lot of helium, don't they, and stuff like that. So this mate, Richard, used to call me from the bottom of the fucking North Sea or wherever he was or the, the shelf off here, and, and he'd be like, Oh, g'day, Dan. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, this is, this is uh, Dingo here. And then you'd hear some, uh, another big butch guy behind him go, get off the fucking phone, Dingo. What are you doing? You know, like, and they're in this tiny um, bell diving. Yeah. He calls it the can for God knows how long, three big muscly guys. Yeah. 28, talking at like 28 that. days at a time you're underwater. Yeah. And Your then, only and privacy this- is the dunny. Or you have a little curtain to pull across your bunk, and there's someone sleeping above you as well. You got no room, mate. You got it's like that is dust being, and then they can't bring you up quick. You've got to come up no, stage 100%. very, very, very slowly. Yeah. That is like my ultimate claustrophobia nightmare. You you cannot get out even if you wanted to. <laughs> no, even 100%. a fucking plane, a commercial airliner, I can theoretically yeah. at least open the door and fling myself out into the <laughs> abyss. You can't even do that down no, there. You're squashed. Fuck, you man. can't get up, and you're heavily reliant on other people for your life. Yeah, they got to bring you up properly, and particularly in the case of an injury, you got missing a... part of his brain. That's what's <laughs> well. Or the longer you're down he's there, got more. I don't know. Something. I don't think we're designed to be down there. Yeah, too long breathing mixed oxygens and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a trade you probably want to give up at some point. At some point, yeah. Well, so he's gonna he'll have some stories. I I, I won't talk about them because I know. Sure, sure. But uh, all right, I reckon that's probably um. That's it. We've we've chatted for an hour. It's great. It feels like you could just talk for absolutely, like, and and it is the most important talk. thing in your life. Yeah. Nothing else is important. Yeah. The job, the career. What's a career? Jesus, what a joke, you know. And I know you've got to exercise your brain in something that that you really enjoy. But you know, this um, idea of being able to just give them money or take them on good trips or something is not, yeah, not the answer. I have. I'm struggling with that a bit because I've spent. I've defined myself so much by my creative work mm-hmm. throughout my life, and I also couldn't really achieve most of it because I was drunk for fucking twenty years. So, sure. I, I and I just couldn't get any. I had all this potential that was unfulfilled. So I finally have the um, sobriety and the kind of space, in a way, to to start completing things. Yeah, finishing plays, 
books doing my stuff and I'm having and I've got a family starting at the very same time so I'm torn between the two because so I have to I have to really try and let go I want to I mean I just I want to I need to and I I love them and I want to be as present to them as possible but so much of my self is defined by this this pursuit of my creative life too so it's hard it's hard to jump between the two it it's like another child um yeah and you can't helicopter parent and be there for every damn second you can't make every no. decision for them yeah but I think if you have the intent, yeah. that's the most important part. And secondly, maybe you can look at your creative spirit as you've created a couple of living sculptures yeah. that have to be crafted all their way through their life to being the best human they can be, mm. whatever that is. We had the bonsai guy on a few weeks ago. And oh, yeah. Was, and we, we were, I was trying to draw parallels between bonsai and kids. And it's that thing of, you know, you've, you start on, it's a long-term thing and you can't, push them beyond their you're not just it's not pure sculpture you've got to uh, sort of support the nature of the tree and the nature of the children you can't just force them but you no, you sure constantly I can't, kind of can't help feeling that um, mm. bonsai might be for a more controlling parent <laughs> yeah. well, that's right yeah yeah exactly i couldn't do it i think wiring. i'm more, more bush than bonsai yeah yeah from I'm, my, I'm bonsai my fanatical but uh, yeah but that's a that's a that's a yeah, I don't know why. We don't know why that happens. It, but, will, uh, it will it will get easier the longer you're in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's various stages where it's all-encompassing, then a bit less and a bit less, then you will finish a conversation, then you will be able to go out. Yes. Well, one time both girls are out at school or something, you go, do you want to get dinner? And so yeah. you go out and you have dinner and a glass of wine, and that's something you haven't done with just the two of you for 10 years. And suddenly you value that experience much more than you did before, Absolutely. So, and the yeah. babysitter is worth the money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, get someone in every now and then to go. You know what? Yes, I know it's going to cost me some bucks, but it doesn't matter. And it's crazy. As we started with it, the very start of the conversation, saying about how how you're thrown into it. With it's it's the most important job that you don't. You really want to try not to fuck up. And you don't want to have to try and do it too many times. But there's no no one can ever train you for it. It's, there's no. It's totally a moving, a groundless yeah. scenario. Yeah. So you just got to kind of surrender to it, and and, and try and enjoy it. Yep. And I hope they it. don't pack you off into a nursing home too before you, <laughs> before it's well, necessary. I'm sure with Jonesy, yeah. Richard, myself, chances of getting to a nursing home. Yeah. Not, well, that's not right. that good. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Out there, bones in the Kimberley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Andrew. See Thanks you, mate. for coming. Nice in. running into you. podcast was recorded at Castaway Studios in Collingwood. Here, we provide affordable, accessible, professional podcasting production facilities to the full range of podcasters, all the way from basic studio hire right through to full season production packages. You can get us on castawaycollingwood at gmail.com or just look up Castaway Studios on all the social medias.